Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a sinner. Hi, Steve. You know, we've walked the road through this season of Lent, and here we are at Palm Sunday. We're at our final step, step 12 today. But it's not the end of our journey. I think it's important that we remember that. This is a continuing life process that we go through. I want to remind you that on this side of eternity, we are two things. We are saints and we are sinners. We are redeemed people by the blood of Jesus that's applied to us through our baptism, living out that redeemed life, but also, as St. Paul says, we carry about with us this body of death, sin with us. We live a life that is hidden in Christ, that has peaks and valleys that we go through, moments that we are used by the Spirit to meet needs, to care for people, to be charitable, to be loving, to be faithful, gentle, peaceful, that fruit of the Spirit. But we also know that we have moments when the selfishness and the attitude that it's all about me wins the day. It's a forever struggle. And I think that's why this series is so fitting, because our lifelong addiction to sin is indeed that struggle, just as Bill W.'s addiction to alcohol would be his lifelong struggle. You know, we talked before about Bill W. and the Bible study that he went through in that Oxford group, how he had learned through that study that his life was unimaginable and he was powerless that he believed a power greater than himself, Jesus, could restore him, that his life had to be managed by Jesus' care, that he did a moral inventory and admitted to himself and others the wrongs he had done and how he had worked to make amends. But one more thing happened that comes from his own story that I'd like you to hear. He had been a believer and had been sober for quite a time, but he found himself incredibly lonely. He'd been staying at a hotel in Akron, Ohio, and it was Mother's Day. And all these memories were washing over him because his own relationship with his mother had been horrible. His mother had deserted him, in fact. And the self-pity and the loneliness began to weigh on him. And he was in the lobby of the hotel, and there happened to be a bar in that lobby. And all of those things washing over him, Bill said to himself, I'm going to get drunk. And when he said those words, he panicked because he realized if he did that, if he got drunk again, it meant the end of the course that he had been on. And he says, then the strangest thought came to him. He said, I need to talk to another alcoholic. I need to find somebody to tell my story to, somebody that needs help. And he found a man by the name of Dr. Bob, and he shared his story. And out of that sharing of his story, AA was born. He wasn't trying to save Dr. Bob, but he knew he needed to share so that he wouldn't get drunk, so that he could stay the course. It brings us today to step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening, Coming alive to Jesus through his power and presence in my life, as a result of these steps, we sought to carry this message to others. Bill W. found out that in sharing his message, it did something for him. 
He was less self-absorbed, less focused on his own problems. His focus turned outward as he shared his message. You know, all of us in this life carry a message. It comes through in different ways. Sometimes it comes through in our body language or the words that we use. It comes through on how we spend our time or how we spend our money, how we treat people, what kind of things make us smile or make us angry or make us cry. We communicate a message. And we may not even realize the message that we are carrying to other people. For instance, we might be giving the message that life is a competition and I'm going to win. Or maybe the idea that I'm a victim and you could save me. Or the idea that image is everything and don't I look good. You get the idea. We carry a message. Bill W. had a message to carry. And as believers, we do too. Jesus is the one who gives us that message. And we find it in Matthew 28 in what we call the Great Commission. Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We carry this message of Jesus in our lives. And when we find someone else, we tell our story of sins forgiven. Another person who is in need that I might help. And when we tell our story, the story of what Jesus has done for us, something happens inside of each one of us also. Like Bill W., we get less self-absorbed in everything that is weighing down on us and we focus on serving someone else. Less about our own lives and our demands and our attitudes. And we discover through sharing what Jesus has done for us that we have joy from that sharing. We have meaning and purpose, excitement beyond myself because we have been used by God to reach someone else. I want to focus on two other aspects that have to do with the message we carry. The what of our message and the why of our message. You know, it's Palm Sunday as we are celebrating, as you see around us, and the gospel that we hear is a familiar one. And there's a message that's being carried by that crowd, but it may not be the obvious one that we see just in the words. I want to go to verse 17 and ponder that for a minute. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. You see, the crowd is carrying a message, as we heard. They're spreading the news, but it's the wrong message. What do I mean by that? They're spreading the message that Jesus Messiah has come to restore Israel, that there's going to be no more Rome and no more oppression and no more taxes, that he's going to reestablish that rule of David, our father David, and that he's coming now up to Jerusalem to do this. You know, those claims, those words that the crowd made, it's easy to see how in a week their attitude changed by Friday. It changed because Jesus didn't give them what they were proclaiming, what they wanted. The message that he spoke, they didn't want to hear. 
The message about the cross and about suffering and dying and rising again were foolishness to them. They focused on the wrong thing in their message in telling the story. I always find it fascinating that isn't it even interesting that as they proclaimed Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes, they're fulfilling prophecy, but they're fulfilling prophecy of God even in the wrong way. How God can work through even a crowd that's misguided. You see, it's important what the message we carry is. Is our message, I'm a Christian, and I live a perfect life. I'm so much better than others, and I can't believe what other people do and say. Man, I am glad it's not me. Or is the message that we carry, I'm Steve, and I'm a sinner, and I struggle, and I'm a sin addict, and I fail out a lot, and my mouth gets me in trouble, and I don't have it together. You see, the real message that we need to carry is this, that only Jesus, my Savior, could bring hope to all these failures in my life, that only Jesus and his cross can give me forgiveness daily. That only Jesus loves me unconditionally and that only Jesus gives me a second chance every day and every moment that I live. There are some who are not interested in that message and we know that, they don't want to hear it. And maybe that discourages us and we think it's just not worth sharing that message, which brings us to the why of our message Yes, it's because Jesus gave us those marching orders as his people, as his church in the Great Commission, but more than that. It's because we know and remember what it is like to be lost in sin, to be alone, to be hopeless. Sam Shoemaker was pastor of the church and the person who led Bill W. through that Bible study in the Oxford group. And he found himself, after Bill W. had gone through those steps and had begun that process of telling others, in a dilemma. You see, Bill started showing up with groups of men, drunks, who didn't dress right, who didn't act right, who didn't use church language. And the people in Sam Shoemaker's church didn't want them there. And Sam says, I had to answer the question, do I want a bunch of drunks at church? In response to answering that question, he wrote these words, and I'd like you to hear them. He says this, I stay near the door. It is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men meet Jesus. I could go inside and stay there, But then those who are outside will only find a wall and not a door. Outside they creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for the door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stay near the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door of Jesus. The most important thing any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to meet the master. 
Men die outside that door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for want of what is within their grasp. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stay near the door. The people who only stay inside do not see how near those in need outside are. Some of them will enter and then they will want to run away. So for them too, I stay near the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they too would be able to help the people who have not even found the door or the people who want to run away. You can go in too deep and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my accustomed place near enough to Jesus to hear him and know that he is there, but not so far from men as to not hear them and remember that they are there too outside the door. Millions of them. More important for me, one of them, two of them, three of them whose hands I may guide to the latch. So I stay by the door and wait for those who seek it. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of our God. You see, everyone carries a message. And maybe in these days of being shut up, it seems an impossible task to carry a message. But we still, wherever we are in our homes, in our stay at place, can carry a message. You know, my daughter called me yesterday in tears because she had been laid off and she's scared. And I reminded her the words of Psalm 37, verse 25, that God will provide for you, I said. And I quoted her this, I was young and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. She knows that righteousness comes from Jesus and not her. We carry a message. And I hope and pray that we too want to be people who stand by the door to proclaim what Jesus has come to do. His forgiveness, his love, his hope in the darkness of life. So we stand by that door and we bring light in that darkness through him. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the truth of your cross, the message of your forgiveness, the message of Easter, of life restored. May that be the message that always is within us, that we understand what it means to be hopeless and now to have hope in you. We understand what it means to be in darkness and have your light shine in our lives, that we may never forget and that we may carry that message to all people that we know. For only in you, in the door, the one who stands and knocks, will it be opened to come in and to have life eternal and to have that struggle within be calmed by your hand, by your love, and by your grace. Lord, let us ever be people who stand by the door also. We ask this in your name. Amen.